and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Probstfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. In this episode, let's talk about stories. I have one based on true events. One day, while traveling on a road trip, we experienced an emergency of our own. Everything turned out fine, but now I have an interesting story to tell. It was a warm Missouri morning. We packed the car with too much junk. A big pink ball bounced out of the vehicle every time the door opened, and somehow we managed to squeeze in our car, our lively dog, Juno, who came along for the ride. We were actually just driving back um, visiting family and Missouri was halfway. So this was like halfway in the trip. It was crazy full, the car. And that ball just kept bouncing out into parking lots. I was gonna lose my mind watching that ball every time fall out of the car. But my daughter really wanted the ball. Anyway, so fortunately, it was not a crazy emergency. It was just enough of an emergency that required us to find the nearest hospital. We couldn't ignore it. So I had to quickly grab my phone and saw that I had only like one to two bars of service because it was a pretty rural area. And after a couple of long seconds of it loading, I finally got on the map uh, the nearest emergency department, which was approximately 10 minutes away. So, got that taken care of, everything was fine, but we ended up having to stay an extra few days, and I needed to find a hotel for our family to stay in, and take this caravan of junk, of toys, and a dog, and my kids on Impromptu Missouri, or Impromptu Missouri Adventures. I knew nothing about this area, but I was like, well, we're just gonna embrace the moment, And, um, you know, at some point that pink ball just bounced out of the car for the last time. I don't know where it is. Hopefully the owner um, is taking good care of it. But during this unexpected journey, um, I embraced the unknown. Like I said, we, we saw a steamboat on the Mississippi River. Um, We went to a botanical garden. I saw like pretty old 19th century red covered bridges, which were kind of cool, and observed miles and miles of just white fences along rolling hills. It was actually quite pretty in that area. But in this journey, it became apparent that our dog, Juno, was not able to handle this unexpected part. Um, She constantly, she always has, but even more so, I felt like, pulled on her leash. She was walking me as opposed to me walking her, and she was scared of just about everything. And uh, she's one of those uh, like rescue uh, dogs we got in the shelter. She's very sweet, but just really scared of everything. 
So we eventually um, discovered a kennel to allow her to be around other dogs for a few days, just because we, you know, we didn't know how long we were going to be there, and we needed um, to at least address the Juno <laughs> issue. So um, we found a cute boarding house that was picture perfect. It was um, pink with colorful floral windows. It was really cute, and. <laughs> excuse me, it was also surrounded by a white fence. Uh, like so many other parts of this part of the country, there was another white fence. Um, so we brought Juno to the house and the lady said, don't worry, she will be safe here. That was her infamous last words because Juno was not safe there. <laughs> the next day, I received a voicemail from the Missouri Highway Patrol um, and the voicemail said, hello, Mrs. Probstfeld, we found your dog, Juno, along the highway, and you can come pick her up at this address, and we'll see you soon. So I was like, wait, what? I left Juno at this really cute house. I just dropped her off yesterday. Um, so I immediately called this kennel, and the lady confirmed it. She said, Juno was not there. She jumped over the fence that pretty white fence jumped over it. There's probably like some other type of fence um, around it, but still she jumped over it. They have no idea where she is. So I was confused why she didn't call me about that. And I got the phone call from the highway patrol, but we rushed over to our second emergency of this journey and uh, obtained our lost dog. And so once we got there, Juno was waiting totally fine. Um, you know, she was like a little, you know, obviously a little scared of what just happened and what was going on, but she was fine though. Um, and we all were reunited and we finally said, we are getting the heck out of here. And we drove away saying goodbye to that little life adventure. So years later, when I tell my children this story, they want to hear it again and again. And they also tell their friends about this story. Which makes sense. This uh, tale has like all the elements of <coughs> like intrigue, excuse me. There is conflict and resolution. Um, Juno's the one who's lost, and the Missouri Highway Control, or the Highway Patrol, like they uh, help bring her to safety. And so there's that resolution there. So, stories. My daughter sings songs, reads books and colors while my son plays his cars, or plays with his cars. However, if I put a title and capitalize those words, the girl and her song, the boy and his racetrack, the girl and her coloring book, these seemingly mundane activities of my daily morning sounds much more interesting, right? Um, it turns out human beings are attracted to stories on a basic neurological level. Dr. Dan Siegel and Mary Hartzell in their book, Parenting from the Inside Out, tales, uh, states that tales or stories span universally through individuals of all cultures, generations, and ages. They are shared as social functions, such as holidays, weddings, and birthdays, as we all know. In an interesting study done in 2021, so fairly recent, uh, by uh, Perez and all, titled, Conscious Processing of Narrative Stimuli Synchronizes Heart Rate Between Individuals. Um, that is a long title, but essentially what that means is that the researchers of this study instructed participants to listen to the same story, but in different settings. 
and not out at the same time. So they found, surprisingly, that regardless of where and when the participants heard the identical story, their heart rates matched or, in other words, synchronized. So same story could be a, a, you know, a different year even. I don't know if it was a year, but it was a different time. Like it wasn't, it, um, you know, it wasn't all at the same time and it was identical to um, the story, which is actually quite amazing. And also neuro, uh, um, neuroscientists and professor at Stanford University, Andrew Huberman. I've um, referenced him a few times. He talks about this as well in his podcast. Um, he talks about it actually in quite detail. It's very interesting. Um, he calls this phenomenon the concert phenomenon. In other words, a bond between two body physiologies. So like for example, like when you and your friend are listening to an equally liked music group, you both will experience an increased bond in that moment. This is because your essentially your body's vital signs, so like vital signs are heart rate, respiration, blood pressure, those type of, of um, uh, findings, they all will um, essentially match um, together in response to the music or your feeling about the music that you're both enjoying together. So making it not just a psychological event, but also a physiological one. This synchronization of heart rate helps with connectivity. It can also occur in theater or movies, um, such as like during an exciting scene or a sad scene. In addition, tales told between each other allow for emotional regulation. For example, when I hold my crying baby, my slower heart rate helps soothe and decrease their elevated heart rate. In children and even adults, a hug when upset can also help. I am reminded of when like I'm at the beach, I observe like the waves that come and go, they come to the shore, they come into the shore and then go out towards the ocean. It's so tranquil. It's almost like kind of like this decreased heart rate. I feel like a little bit of nature's emotional regulation. Um, I don't know, you know where I read that before, but I, I, I do really feel that. Like when I go walking on the beach, I'm just so calm. And I know I'm not the only one that experiences that. It really is the soothing experience. So uh, there's a place in the North Woods of Wisconsin called Cathedral Pines. I recently visited um, that area and it's a group of very old pine trees that soar up into the sky. The oldest is 368 years old, and it's very peaceful as you enter the grove with just this intoxicating smell of pine. Um, and according to the USDA Forest Service, Lucy Rumsey Holt took her children there in the early 1900s. She felt tranquility and and really uh, felt like that the sound she heard in this area resembled a cathedral and asked her husband, who happened to be the president of the Holt Lumber Company, to not cut, cut down those trees. So this lumber company was essentially cutting down all the trees in the area, which they did do a lot of um, in the early 20th century. Um, but she instructed him not to, uh, to uh, cut down this grove. So when one visits today, it's it's the original, essentially, like what it used to be forest. Um, and then I noticed that there was a little clearing amongst the pines. 
And I just kind of imagine Lucy and her kids sitting there reading stories to each other. I, I read somewhere in, um, like on one of the signs in there, it said that they read Bible stories to each other. So um, it just sounds, you know, like a really peaceful place and um, just a great area to share stories. So more about these stories. At funerals, they are sometimes the only thing that grabs everyone's attention. Like sharing a story of the recently departed, it can essentially, I feel like, be a brief moment that can help just a bit with the pain. When you recount a positive or just a joyful event with that person, um, where you could tell a story of their life and how their lives intertwined with yours and how it affected you and something silly they did or something funny. Um, it helps people laugh for a moment and gets you out of, um, out, out of the, out of the pain. Hemingway states, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. So what stories do you have to share? Because we're not going to be around for forever. And I encourage you to write them down for your children and for subsequent generations. about What you like to do when you were younger. Um, you know, what was school like back then? Um, what kind of things did you do for fun? Who, what were your friends' names? Um, so I encourage you to just jot that down somewhere so people can read that later on. Now, Cornell clinical professor of psychology, Dr. Kenneth Barish, in his book, Pride and Joy, points out children love to hear stories of their parents and they are a captive audience. It's like a sponge, their, their brains are a sponge that soaks it all in. And stories many times are from memories, but interestingly, memories are often inaccurate. Neurologist and famous author Oliver Sacks speaks of this in his writing. When particularly young, we remember the emotion that was felt as well as the repetition in which it was told. Like, how many times were you told a story or a tale of something? Um, you know, we all know stories that, like, mom or dad said, like, a million times. And um, so just that repetition. Um, the repeating of that tale, um, the repeating makes sense to me. Like, I feel like you can remember things more if you keep hearing it over and over again. Even, like, with my writing, when I write about something that we did, I will remember it more clearly than if I didn't. And that kind of just, if I don't write about things, just I, I feel like our brain kind of you know, gets lost uh, with time, a lot of uh, daily activities. So um, Sachs, Oliver Sachs points out some of our early core memories may not even have happened, which I thought was interesting. Um, he says that they perhaps were stories told to us passed down by others' memories, either something we or someone else experienced, but may not necessarily remember. So I thought more about that because I thought that was intriguing. And I was thinking, okay, what are my um, memories from early on in childhood? And the, the memory that came to me, um, the first memory that I thought of was when I was a child, about like eight years old, ice skating with my dad. We, have a, we had a creek in the yard growing up 
And um, I, I totally remember it. I was like, no, I remember this, this memory. I have this memory. Like dad spun me around on the frozen creek and my brother watched us outside in the window, refusing to go out because it was too cold outside. And I was wearing a purple coat and a pink hat. I, I remember it, it was on our home video. I remember this event. But then I was thinking, well, wait a second. It was our, on our home video. So actually, you know, thinking more about it, I have a memory of watching that video because I watched it a couple of times. That's how I like clearly remember I had the purple coat and the pink hat and my brother watching from the window because that's what was on there. But actually, um, you know, lacing up my skates and going out there, I don't know if I do remember that. I, um, I know my dad told me stories of us ice skating and saying how he enjoyed it or, you know, sometimes I think he wrote notes or drew pictures of it. So obviously there was that connection that we had about it. Um, but really, my memory of ice skating was actually my dad's memory. It, it was my dad's, not my memory. Um, which I thought was really interesting. And I wonder what other kind of memories I have that I believe I experienced, but actually it was just you know, a story told to me over and over again or a, a whole video I watched. Um, so contemplating more about this, how can I help my kids remember more? Such as like an activity we like to do, picking dandelions. Um, I like to do that like when it starts to become nicer out. Like I know um, now it's April, so um, they'll start coming out soon. I really like dandelions, just a side note for a second. I know most people don't, but they have a very interesting history. Um, maybe I'll have to do a podcast or writing or blog post on that at some point. Um, but anyway, so, um, but also, you know, talking with my kids about how proud I am they were um, for being nice to um, another child at school on their first day that was a little nervous. Um, so another thing that can help are photo albums. Which I think those are a good avenue to encourage storytelling. One of my favorite memories with Matt is when we were newlyweds on the Napa Valley wine train. Throughout this few hour train ride, we had wine and talked about life and our hopes for the future. And for some reason, this memory blurs in with another memory of white egrets flying at our old house outside of Dallas, Texas. Um, so I guess that was our house at the time when we were newlyweds. That was our, our first house. Um, but there were no like egrets on this wine train. It wasn't the same time um, exactly. It was maybe a year later I you know, saw those egrets and I took a picture of them. But then thinking about it, you know, I made a photo album shortly after that wine train um, vacation, and I put that picture of egrets right next to the picture of the wine train. So on top is a picture of Matt and I, like I'm wearing a pink and blue dress, and on the bottom there's that egret flying above the trees. So it really, like I think in my mind, that's why I have that connection together like that. So to our children, photo albums are just as interesting, if not more so than their books. I forget my kids have not experienced many of my memories, or they were too young to remember what happened exactly on their third birthday. Sometimes looking through pictures in lieu of a bedtime story sets the stage for these memories to solidify, or at least in my opinion, they do. We talk about happy times, vacations, and camps, and it also opens up the door, I feel like, for more genuine conversations with them.
Um, you know, maybe not at bedtime all the time. Sometimes I'm like super tired at bedtime and I just want to, you know, stare at a wall or watch a show. But if I intentionally think, okay, I'm going to do this tonight, or maybe it doesn't even have to be at bedtime, like really anytime. Sometimes in the car, I feel like the car actually is a good one. Um, like on a, a trip, I, I have a, quite a captive audience during that, uh, during the car ride. So with all this in mind, I decided to start a new project. Print out pictures from the past 18 months and allow my kids to help me with this endeavor. And I may have gone a little overboard. I printed out about 500 pictures. And uh, fortunately, I had a coupon code, which saved a lot of money. Um, however, when Matt picked up the prints, he asked if there was a mistake because it was a bill for $300. And I was like, oh, I did not realize it was going to be that much money. Um, fortunately, actually, they um, made a mistake and 100 or so of the pictures weren't mine. So it wasn't actually $300. It was $200, which still is a lot of money. Um, so, you know, with my project, is that worth it? I don't know. Maybe I, I do think it is worth it to do the uh, pictures, but maybe not print out 500. <laughs> Next time I'll, I'll be more selective. Um, but however, in my opinion, it is the best children's book for my kids because they are the main characters and this is their story. So I do think it is. So yes, it is worth it. Just not as many pictures, maybe. So in reviewing the finished project product, um, I intentionally discuss positive memories with them. So like, so when we reviewed like the photo album, when it was all done, essentially, like we talked about the pictures. We turned the page and saw colorful fireworks in the night sky, and I asked them open-ended questions uh, to get the conversation going. So, what was your favorite color firework? Or, remember that hike in the woods? Like, there was a picture of them in the woods holding hands, and they look so suspicious, like they're looking for something. Um, and that was kind of a, a spooky forest, right? You were talking with them about that. Recently, we went on a scorpion hunt uh, when we were in Texas, and I said, we're going to find a scorpion because I told my son and my daughters the uh, story of when I lived in Texas, I found a scorpion and I, um, it, it was under a rock. So I was like, well, let's go and try and do that again. So we, like literally we went on a walk for, it wasn't, wasn't very long, like a 15 minute walk, but we were turning over rocks trying to find a damn scorpion. And the very last rock, we got one. So I was so glad that that thing made an appearance, but it really like put um, just a twinkle in their eye. They really enjoyed that. And I think that is something that they're going to remember because I was able to, you know, use my life story and create a new story with them. And we talked about it then afterwards and you know, we did have a picture of it. So it helps solidify those things. Now, since starting this podcast and my writing, I actively work on a widely known principle by psychologist John Gottman called the five to one ratio. He is well known for this ratio to predict successful marriages. Um, however, um, you know, people uh, have said, and he may have said too, I'd have to look, um, but it can apply to really um, any relationship, like a parent-child relationship. Um, or school environments. So five to one essentially means you have to have five positives to one negative. Um, so five, you know, um, compliments or doing something um, nice for someone versus one negative criticism or something like that. And the reason for that 
is we're programmed to remember negative experiences more than positive ones for survival reasons. If I remember a predator is dangerous, it's advantageous to me for my survival, but it's not as advantageous if I remember an animal is cute or, you know, or if I don't get that kind of fear reaction. So we're supposed to remember negative more, but that is kind of unfortunate because um, so many times we do all these positive things, but you know, sometimes the negative things stick out in memories. We can't all be perfect. And despite my best intentions, sometimes my emotions do sneak up on me. So, you know, the first step obviously is awareness, continuing to work on the present with increasing positives and decreasing negatives. However, for events that already happened, I can't travel back in time. Um, but maybe if I retell stories from a different paradigm or a different lens, that could help. Um, so for example, this past winter, I picked up my oldest from school in a sled as opposed to a car, which I thought was gonna be super fun. Um, we live relatively close to the school and I thought it would be really neat, but in reality, it was not at all fun. Oh my gosh, the sled was too small and the kids kept pushing each other and a few of the moms pulled their cars over and asked if I needed help and probably also to make sure I didn't lose my mind because what what is Valerie doing with these kids in a sled um, when she could just be driving to pick them up from school? It was cold and we were wet and my toddler was hysterical. But you know what? Years from now, the kids may remember that differently if I tell that story in a positive light. So if I focus more on the spontaneity of the, oh, I had this great idea that we were gonna go on a sled ride, because it was, it was, I mean, I don't know if it was a great idea, but it was a fun idea. So focusing more on the fun idea as opposed to the reality of the situation, was it, which was embarrassment and chaos. But I feel like, um, you know, if I focus on that, that may turn that memory more into a positive one if we talked about it more and more in that different lens. Sometimes, obviously, that's not possible, but I believe, you know, there are some moments that if I can reframe my mind, I can help shape long-term memories. So, like I said earlier, it's now April and green is popping from the ground um, of like lilies that are starting to come up and pink and purple buds on the trees. The birds are chirping and it sounds like a, just an orchestra of them. Baby lambs, they were born recently at our local farm and I love sheep, like I really like them. They're so calm and they're so peaceful and whenever I go to them, they stare at me, just this blank stare and chew straw. Um, you know, sometimes sheep are underrated and labeled you know, sometimes as flowers or just not very intelligent with mindlessness. However, when I go and visit these sheep, they're so tranquil that I think like, is this mindlessness or is it mindfulness? They're very much in the moment. Um, and that's what I often strive to be in the present with like those sheep are. So speaking of lambs, Easter is this weekend. What are your traditions? During these holidays, it's a special opportunity to remind your children of their part in the family, its history, as well as your values. And this is all done through stories. So thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast and newsletter for more ideas and to stay up to date. Thank you so much and have a great day.